0: If you will turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 1, as we continue this Advent season. All right. Did Christmas come, like, really quickly, or is it my imagination? I don't know about you. uh, It's not that I'm not excited. It's just kind of more neutral. But, uh, boy, it's here. And we kind of had a scramble. We've got to get our Christmas tree. I mean, it's kind of like, do you know it's December, and we haven't gotten our Christmas tree yet? Anybody else not gotten their Christmas tree? All right. Ba humbug to you guys. We went yesterday. We went, did our Jake's annual tri- uh, trek to get a Christmas tree. And I am, I will admit, of the Clark W. Griswold tree buying people. Buy a tree bigger than your house can possibly hold. You know, you want to look for a tree that's a tree. You want to have it, you want to have like two or three people have to help you get the tree in the house, right? You want to be able to move furniture, alter the house. That is a tree. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's age. I don't know if it's sense. I don't know if it's money. You know, trees are daggum expensive, aren't they? How much is a tree this year? $12 a foot, a bargain for you. Um, I always go to the same place. It's the place we get the big tree out here. And I mention about 100 times that we got the big tree from here. (laughs) Hey, I love the tree we got there. Hint, hint, hint. Why doesn't it come with a pastor tree? Hint, hint, hint. You know what it does for me? Well, I'm looking in the my price range trees with certain tags on them that, you know, I don't want a tree that I could kind of see over. I mean, that's just not good, right? I mean, come on. And I happen to notice that some folks that we know uh, are over in another area. As a matter of fact, they're in an area of trees. I didn't even know they had trees over there. I mean, it wasn't even under a tent because a tent doesn't fit it, right? And all of a sudden, they like, pull up the tree. I'm mean, like, oh, my goodness, look at that thing. How wrong is it for you to covet someone else's Christmas tree? I mean, is, that like, is that like the worst of the worst, you know? I'm mean, like, oh, yeah, that's, that's really nice, shapely. Big and then, then, where do you go? You got a house big enough for that? Oh, my goodness, that's amazing! But hey, the good news is we got a good tree, it looks good, very shapely. Uh, uh come by and see it anytime you want, as long as you're invited. Uh, we'd love to have you. Um, anyway. All right, this morning as we jump in, uh, I I, want to begin with a story about my own Christmas growing up. But I got to give you a little bit of a a warning to this because you'll hear the story and I want you to enjoy the story. And I want you to see how it connects to God's word. But as I tell the story, you may think, can he have permission to tell this story? So I want you to know two things. One is, I called my dad and I got permission to tell this story. Second thing is, he's not here today. (laughs) Fantastic. So we're going to let it rip. I'm going to tell the truth about this story the way it really is. Um, And so for those of you who know my parents, they're wonderful, godly, great folks. Please don't be offended about the story. I've run it by him. It's his story. But here's my dad. When you gave my dad a Christmas present, uh, he would have the same joking response. Joking response every time, every year, every gift. You give my dad a gift. Here you go, Dad. And his response would be, did you save the receipt? It comes without saying. Uh, It wasn't Merry Christmas or thank you or oh, I can't wait. It was, hey, did you save the receipt? Because really what he was implying is what you give me, it might not be any good. What you give me, probably more, it it may not fit. What you give me, I, I may not like it. And what you give me, well, it just may not be right. And so he would say in jest, but we all kind of know that, you know, as Mark Twain said, there's always truth in humor, right? Did you save the receipt? Hmm. Well, you know, uh, he, he solved that problem that he had another tradition that he's passed down to me. He would always put under the tree one present that said this, to Bill, from Bill. All right, my dad, Bill, would get a present to Bill from Bill. It's the one present he knew he's going to hit a home run right there, you know? I mean, there's going to be no worrying, no wondering, no saving the receipt to Bill from Bill. Now, there might be some people that you know that now pass that on and have two Jeff from Jeff presents under there as well. But for this year, what I'm really hoping for on my Christmas list is I'm hoping for a Lexus or a Mercedes. I want a Lexus or a Mercedes for Christmas, because have you seen their commercials? I mean, seriously, I mean, there's Christmas commercials, and there's Christmas, and then there's Lexus and Mercedes commercials. I don't know what about my materialistic being just gets drawn right in, but they look like utopia. I mean, it looks like something different happens on Christmas morning to them than it does to me. I I have great Christmases. We have a great time, but at the end of the day, there may be some toys who are broken. At the end of the day, things aren't quite right. At the end of the day, I, I still may long for things. At the end of the day, my kids may still want stuff. But those Lexus and Mercedes commercials, they seem to have it all. It seems like they don't even need a receipt with those. You know, you just get one and you're, you're good. You just get it and your, your life is happy. And for those of you who drive those or know it, you know that that's not true either. Christmas. Christmas is the celebration that God gave us. Listen to this. Christmas is the celebration that God gave you. Christmas is the celebration that God gave the world a Savior. A Savior. I mean, someone who is to come to make all things new. Someone who is to come and give his life and life abundantly. Someone who is going to come and make us new and, and, and solve the world's problems. And do you ever want to say, "Did you save the receipt?" Because are you sometimes underwhelmed what was promised? I mean, do you ever turn on the TV and you, you look at what's happening at Ferguson and you, you shake your head and you say, "How can we ever make this right?" I mean it's, how, how, how does this resolve? I mean, what's going on?" And, do you ever feel underwhelmed with the Savior of the world with things like Ferguson? Do you ever, you ever like, look at ISIS or, or the things that are happening in the world and think, man, Jesus came to save the world? Come on, man. Did you save the receipt? Did it work? Okay, forget Ferguson and the world. Let's talk about you and me. Do you ever look in the mirror and say, He promised to save me. And here I am. Did you save the receipt? You see, I still got issues. Sometimes it feels like when you get to the grandeur of Christmas and you get to all the the lights and all all of the promise, sometimes you wonder, is this underwhelming or is this under-delivering? But the reality is this, and I want you to know that that we really have good news. And if we examine the scripture thoroughly and we ask the Holy Spirit to open up our minds and our eyes to understand what was really promised and what Jesus really truly delivered, I promise you this. With the with Holy Spirit here with us, opening up our eyes to see who Jesus is, we will not be underwhelmed. We will be overjoyed. God came to save you. And he came himself to rescue us. And he gave us the greatest gift he could ever give. He gave us his life. And he's really set us free. So as we look at the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to look at this account in Matthew chapter 1 and God's holy word of what was really promised and what was really delivered. We're going to read this this morning verses 18 through 25, but I want you to really focus in on verse 21. If you have a pencil or pen or a highlighter or lipstick or something, make sure you can focus in on 21. We're going to look at all of this. And let's be mindful. Matthew wrote this a long time ago. uh, But because God breathed his very being in and through Matthew, these are God's words. This is what it means. This is for you, whoever you are and wherever you've been. God doesn't want to just entertain you this morning. He doesn't want to just educate you this morning. God wants to save you this morning. And these are the only words that can do that. So let's look to God's Word in Matthew 1, verses 18-25. through Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She, listen here, we're focusing in here, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name, Jesus. Now let's pray. Now, Father God, we this morning are gathered here in your presence. And we ask that you would come and you would do that which only you could do. That you personally, through the spirit of Jesus, would speak to each one of us that you'd be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me, that, that you, God, would, would give us ears to hear your voice, Jesus, and you'd give us minds to understand your word, Father God, and that you would give us hearts to, to embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the one who has the name that is above every name. May that name of Jesus be what's the primary beating of our own heart. God, would you cause us to to walk in a manner worthy of the great name of Jesus? Oh God, come. Come and be with us. This is such an amazing season and this is such an incredible passage. And God, it's it's really my, my longing for all of us to clearly see and hear your love and truth. So what is said that is true? and what is said that contains the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus, our Savior and your Son? And the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion. May those things be forgotten and fall away. We pray that you and you alone receive glory, that we receive joy and challenge. And we pray this in the, the name above every name, Jesus. Amen. If you want to follow along in the bulletin with an outline, you'll have it there for you. We're going to bore again down on... Verse 21 and in that verse you will see that we are told you shall call his name Jesus. One of the great privileges that parents have if you're a parent you know this is is naming your children. It's that nine month journey waiting up to it saying, what are we going to name this child and maybe finding out that it's a boy or girl and and start zoning in on those names and and have the privilege because as parents, you have the authority to name your children. It shows dominion. It's exactly what Adam was doing in the garden. He was showing the authority that God had given him by naming all of the animals to show that he was the the authority over them, that God had appointed him to rule and reign for him over the entire earth. And so as parents, we have this really cool privilege of, of naming our children. I want to tell you, one of the children we named was Caleb, our third Name the name Caleb, it's, it's not a family name, it's a Bible name. And the way we came up with the name Caleb is we, we looked through Scripture and, and we, we read about this spy named Caleb. And we read about how heroic he was for God. We, we read about, and what, what dad doesn't want a son who kind of like, is, is man enough to be a spy and go behind enemy lines? And what, what, what father doesn't want a son who will be able to stand up when everybody else says, no, we can't do it, and says, no, nah, we're going to go in the name of the Lord? But the really cool thing about Caleb is this, is, is the name uh, in Hebrew means following the Lord wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly loving the Lord. I'm like, that's the name right there. Because why? That is my hope. I had the privilege of, of, and Katie had the privilege of calling him that name. And our hope is, is that he would live, and he has so far, lived up to that name of following the Lord wholeheartedly. But you've got to notice the text here. It says, hey, I want you to give him the name. Uh, God did not give Mary and Joseph the authority to give a name to Jesus. He came prenamed because he is the one who is the ultimate authority. He's the one that they'll actually bend their knee to, uh, and he is the one who is over even them. But you got to give them the name Jesus. Jesus specifically, why? Not because they hope he will do something. It's really cool here because he will do something. Give him this name, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Where where I have given my son his name, Caleb, in hopes that he will live to this, God says, give him this name, because this is his destiny. Call his name, Jesus. Why? He will save. Secondly, he will save. There's a wonderful connection with the name Jesus, and that he will save. I mean, it's basically showing us that there's a story behind the story. For each one of my children, I just told you Caleb's, but for each one of you, my children, I have a story. Katie and I have a story of how we came up with that name, how it connects to the bigger story. There's not one name of our children we just thought, you know, hey, that sounds good with Jakes. let's name that one. Every one of them, there's a backstory. Every one of them connects to a greater story. And when you hear the name Jesus, here's the really, 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 really cool thing. It connects to the backstory, the whole story of the Bible. And it's going to basically say this is God's ultimate story of how God loves you and me, how God rescues you and me, and how God does it himself through his son named Jesus. The name Jesus, although it was a popular name in the time of around Bethlehem, it's not just because it was a popular name that was soaring on the baby book list that they named them that. Call him that because why? You ready for this? This is really cool. Jesus is going to be translated in the Hebrew, really, Joshua. There's going to there's be a link to Joshua in the Old Testament. And that's Yahshua is really going to come from the Hebrew verb of Yahweh saves. And so giving him the name Jesus is basically saying, this is his name, and he's going to do this. By the way, God promises a Savior, this is Jesus, he saves, just like the Bible said he would do it. When God reveals his name to us, it's an incredible thing he does, and he tells us his name. And in the Old Testament, the ultimate name he gave us was Yahweh. And Yahweh, again, would really let us know that that God himself saves. And and that rises to the surface in the story of the Bible in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, God's people are in slavery. God's people are in Egypt. God's people are being oppressed. God's people think that God left a building. God's people are like, they're they're far from home. And and they're being abused with how they have to work as slaves. And yet there's this whisper of a promise, Yahweh saves. Every time they called on the name of God, they're reminded, God saves. God saves. This is what he does. And then through Moses, uh, we see how God mightily is going to save. Hit pause. Side note. Movie coming out. Moses. Uh, don't go to the movie thinking it's probably biblically accurate. It probably won't be. I would imagine it probably has some really cool effects. And, uh, but go knowing this. The greatest story ever told is God's story. And here it is for us right here. Well, it's, it's, in the, uh, it's in the book of Exodus that we find God's people and they're in slavery and, uh, and God is going to release them out of sa- slavery by basically mocking the gods of Egypt. Those plagues are basically mocking what they believe. It's a, it's a great story. And at the end of these plagues, and God was doing something else, he's not only showing his might, he's not only proving that God saves, he's not only proving that God alone is God, but he's, he's, he's also saying that I'm really going to do this myself personally. And I am the mighty God. And the last plague, oh man, it was bad. The last plague made the rest of the plagues look like nothing. It was the death of the firstborn son. And God, God who hardened Pharaoh's heart himself so that all these plagues could unfold, he says, now this last plague is going to be so bad that the Pharaoh and everybody in Egypt who's going to lose a son are going to say, get the heck out of our face. We don't want you anymore. And, and it, was, it was horrific. Can you imagine a night that every firstborn died? Can you imagine that kind of wail? That's what happened according to God's word in, in Egypt. And, but God said to his people, listen, I provided for you because I save. I provided for you because I rescue. I provided for you because my name's Yahweh. And here's what I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to ask you to take a, a Passover lamb. I'm going to ask you to take a spotless lamb and, and I'm going to ask you to, to sacrifice that lamb. And I'm going to ask you to take the blood of the spotless lamb and I'm I'm going to ask you to cover your doorpost with it. And as you cover the doorpost with it, death will pass over you. I mean, how incredible is that? And it happened is that the lamb was sacrificed and the blood was put on the doorpost and and death itself passed over. Why? Because Yahweh saves. But you know who the real lamb of God is? you know who the real Passover lamb is? His name is Jesus. You see, what happened with that Passover lamb is it, it led them out of slavery. I mean, the lamb was slain and they were saved and, and they were led out of slavery, moving toward the promised land. But there's a greater Passover lamb that it pointed to. His name is Jesus. And through his shed blood that covers over our sins, we truly are forgiven and we truly are set free. Listen, what shackles us of the wages of sin is death, but because of the shed blood of Christ Jesus, we have life and life abundantly. So call his name Jesus because Yahweh saves. Call his name Jesus because he's the true Passover lamb, but there's more than that. As you continue the story, as you continue the redemptive history, you get to Joshua. After they're released from slavery, they, they need a captain. They need a warrior. They need one who's told to be strong and courageous and go and defeat All of God's enemies so you could be brought into the promised land. And guess what his name was? Joshua. So here you have Jesus, who's the ultimate Joshua, the ultimate captain, the ultimate warrior, the ultimate one who will go in and who will conquer all of God's and ours enemies. Not Canaanites, but sin and death and everything that separated us from God. This is the ultimate Joshua. This is our ultimate captain. This is our ultimate warrior who would lay his life down so we could live. And he leads us not just into a promised land here on earth, but a promised land with him and a home with him. This is Joshua. Name him Jesus. But there's more. You continue to read the story, you get to the prophet uh, Zechariah, and he's going to tell us a story of a high priest by the name of Joshua. It's a really interesting story. If you have your Bibles, you may want to mark this. It's Zechariah chapter 3. And it's going to talk about this story of this high priest named Joshua. And he stands before Satan and the angel of the Lord. And what he is wearing is absolute filth. And he, as a high priest, shouldn't be wearing this. I mean, he should be wearing the priestly robes. He should should be donning that which is beautiful and reflects of his standing before God. But he stands before God in absolute filth guess who that Joshua is pointing to? It's Jesus. It's the one who would come and be wrapped in swaddling cloth of our filth. It's the one who would come and and put on flesh. It's the one who would come and live with us. It's this ultimate Joshua named Jesus, this ultimate high priest who comes and stands between us and the Father to bring us back home. It's this Jesus who comes and he puts on our filth on the cross. I mean, it's a picture of what he is going to do on the cross for us, that he's going to wear our filth. Why? So as it says in Zechariah 3, we could be robed in his righteousness. We could be robed in his beauty. We could be forgiven. We could be free. We could be made beautiful in this Jesus. Give him, call him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save. And oh, does he save he not just saves as, as uh, the Passover lamb. He doesn't just save as the warrior and the captain. He doesn't just save as a high priest. He saves to the uttermost. Hebrews 7 tells us about this Jesus, that he is the ultimate high priest and that he will save us in Hebrews 7.25 to the uttermost. And it means this. Some of you have been in some really dark places and some of you are there now. Some of you have done some things that if you if got found out here, you'd have to run out of here. Some of you and some of myself is, man, the things we've thought, the things we've said, the things we've done. But the good news of the one named Jesus is he is able to save to the uttermost wherever the darkness was in your life. Wherever you have been, the light of Christ shines. This warrior fights for you. This warrior, what he has done for us in his life, in his death and resurrection, has truly saved to the uttermost. Jesus saves us on the cross. He continues to save us uh, today. He will always save us. He's bringing us home. We have a champion. We have a warrior. And his name is Jesus. And he truly saves us to the uttermost. And because of that reality, Paul tells us us in in Philippians chapter 2. And he says about this, Jesus, he says, you know, in Philippians 2, 5, he says, Jesus, although he's the very nature of God, he's God himself, He didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. But for our rescue, he emptied himself. Now, put this in your words. For your rescue, for my rescue, God became man. It's more than that, it says. Not only did God become man, God became a servant. No, it says it's even more than that. That God not only became man, he not only became a servant, that God became a sacrifice. He became a curse. He became your curse. He became my curse. He he died a death on the cross it says in Philippians 2, because of that reality, because Jesus really did save by becoming your sin and mine, God gave him the name that's above every name. He said that God lifted him up and says, now I give you the name Jesus, that name that you've lived up to. He says this about the name of Jesus, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And what a glorious thing to know that reality now. He looked at salvation, and Paul said, "This is this name of above every name." In the gospel, or in the book of Acts, Luke would write in Acts 4:12, "It's by the name of Jesus that we must be saved. There is no other name under heaven whereby you can be saved, other than the name of Jesus. This is what's saying. God is saying to us in the Christmas story, I'm going to provide a savior of the world. His name is Jesus. And there's no other way. Jesus is not one of many. Jesus is not in a line of others. Jesus has no other rivals. There is only one way for you to have life. There is only one way for you to have forgiveness. There's only one way for you and me to find our way home. And it's because of this glorious son named Jesus, who would come and become one of us, who would wear our filth so we could wear the robes. Call his name Jesus. Because he will, and he alone will save. But there's more. He will save his people. The worst president of the tree has no name on it. The worst president of the tree, who's this for and and who's this from? And your most selfish kid always says, it's mine. That was me. But for salvation... I want you to know that that God has given salvation specifically for his people. There is a tag on it. It says in Scripture that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Is that you? Jesus came to seek to save the lost, but there's more than that. He came to seek and to save his sheep, his church, his family, his own, those he calls by name. He's the good shepherd. I love what it says in John 10. He knows all his sheep by name. It was personal. It was personal for you if you're his. It wasn't just some random thing. Let me tell you how amazingly glorious God is. That he not only provides the gift of Jesus, he provides the grace to open the gift. God, you see, we're so dead in our trespasses and sins, we don't get it without God coming first and letting us see. We don't open it. We don't even have faith on our own. And God's amazing, glorious grace is so great for you to say, your name is on it, I'm going to give you this gift, I'm going to give you the ability to open it, I'm going to give you the faith, I'm going to have you hold on to you, it's all about me, I'm never going to let you go. This is the amazing good news of our Savior. He died for his people. And that includes me. He put his name on it. And he says this, he will save his people from what? from specifically their sins. All that which is gonna separate us from a holy God. God says, I have saved you from your sins. But what doesn't he say? He doesn't say, I've saved you from all your issues. I haven't saved you from the fact that you're still gonna struggle. I didn't save you from the fact that your marriages are still gonna be hard. I didn't save you from the fact that your kids are gonna be prone to wander. I didn't save you from the fact that you're not gonna continue to wrestle with the flesh. One day that's coming. And I sometimes think we want to say to God, did you save the receipt because, you know, you saved me from my sins, but there's so much crud in my life. There's so much junk in my life. There's so much brokenness in my life. Did it work? And let me just remind you what he says. He saved you from the penalty of your sins. Scripture is very clear. The wages, the penalty of sin is death. We deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve separation. But Jesus says, I'm going to step in and take it. I will take what they deserve. I, I will become the sacrifice. Pour your wrath out on me so we can pour our love out on them. Do you know that Jesus came to save you? If he came to save you from the penalty of your sin, here's what it means. There's not one nanosecond of your life from now into eternity that a holy God will condemn you. You know what that means? And you and I can stand before a holy God even now in Christ Jesus and we can hear, not guilty. It's true. The penalty has been paid. He saved us from the penalty, but more than that, he saved us from the power. He saved us from our sins, but he saved us unto righteousness, and he now, with the Holy Spirit, has given us the power to live godly lives, it says in, in 1 Peter 2, Second uh, Peter 1, I should say. And I know it's such a struggle in our flesh, because I still mess up. He saved us from the penalty, the power, and one day he will save us even from the presence of sin. One day he's coming, and sin will be forever dealt with, but that day is not here. You when I think about our lives and I think about how many things I still gravitate to to find life, I think about how many things I still wallow in. I think about how much sin is still entangling me. I think of how much brokenness I am. You know what I wonder? I wonder if God ever asked, did you save the receipt, Jesus? Do you see how bad they are? Did you save the receipt? You may want to turn that one in. You may want to go back and look for somebody else. You may want to say, hey, I gave that the good old try, college try, but aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't flaunt it to us and say, you know what? I thought I was getting more than this. I think I grumble that He didn't give us enough. I got to examine my life and say, what has He done for me? Do you know that it's the 50th anniversary, I think, of Hess Trucks, uh, Christmas gift, Hess Trucks? Anybody ever get a Hess Truck for Christmas? Some of us raised our hands. I got a Hess truck. I remember this Christmas, I got a Hess truck. I must have been three to five years too old to get a Hess truck. You know, I, I, I was 22. No, no, I wasn't that old. But uh, I got a Hess truck. I'll never forget opening it. It was like, oh, man, this is going to be great. I was like, oh, it's a Hess truck. It comes with batteries. The lights go on. i don't think a man, my parents got me a Hess truck. What do they think about me? <laughs> they think I'm eight. You know what I remember about that Christmas more than anything? The first thing I played with was a Hess truck. Why? Because, you know, just the love of my mom and dad. I, I just, I just want them to know I love them. I just, I, I'm not kidding you. I played with the Hess truck because my father thought this is what I should have. I don't think my earthly father got the Hess truck one right that year. But I know that my heavenly father never misses. I know he knows exactly what I need. And he needs Jesus. I often ask for something quite different. And he gives us a savior that is exactly what we need. But oftentimes is nothing what we ask for. Did you hear what I said? He gives us a savior named Jesus who is exactly what we need. But it's not always what we ask for. I think the reality is it should change the way we live and what we play with in life. It, it should really change the way we play with the toys of life because our Father has given it to us. And it's good. You know, I, I said I was hoping for a Lexus or a Mercedes this Christmas. Uh, but I, I think I really got what the commercial's asking for. I, I got Jesus. And, you know, I got life and life abundantly today, and I know there's more coming tomorrow. And I know that sometimes the the, the gift seems underwhelming, but the reality is when I look at who Jesus really is, when I look at the true Joshua and what he's really done, when I understand my real standing now before a holy God in Christ Jesus, it's, I'm overjoyed. I got Jesus. I got him. I'm forgiven. I have life. I'm a child of the king. I'm going home. Salvation is mine. He's not changing his mind about me. And I'm overjoyed. Don't always live it. Don't always remember it. God gave us a Savior, and His name is Jesus. Have you bowed your knee to Him yet? You will. And what a joy is it doing that now? Are you placing your trust in Him or in something else? Are you looking for anything else to to save you? Are you looking for anything else to give you joy? Are you looking to anything else to give you meaning? Hey, by the way, how are you with keeping receipts anyway? I lose all my receipts. I mean, it's terrible. I I don't know where they are. And when do you need a receipt? You want a receipt when you want to know you really paid for something, right? The darn thing breaks and you want to know, hey, do you have the receipt? Why do you want to go, I paid for this. Make it right. Do you know that Jesus did keep the receipt? He purchased you with his own blood and his own righteousness, and it says he took the bill of sale because you were purchased with his blood, and he took the receipt, and he says he nailed it to the cross for the entire world to see, mostly Satan. So when he accuses you, he can point to the receipt, and says, He paid for that. Don't accuse them. I paid for that. They're forgiven, they're free, they're mine. Don't you dare. I have the receipt. You see, he kept the receipt and he gives us a meal. He gives us a meal and he wants us to tangibly know how much he loves us. This is the receipt that the Savior came for you. And this is only for those who have their name on it. The one that he decided before time began. Come and taste the goodness of God. Come and taste the salvation of God. Come and taste the sacrifice of God for you. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins and this is the receipt let us pray father for every day that we live our lives underwhelmed by your love underwhelmed by your sacrifice underwhelmed by the work of your son forgive us God, give us eyes to see our true Joshua named Jesus. Give us eyes to see that he's our Passover lamb. His blood was shed so that we can live. Give us eyes to see our true Joshua that leads us into the promised land by conquering yours and our enemies, death and sin itself. Let us open our eyes to see our ultimate and true high priest named Jesus who would wear our filth so that we could wear the robes of righteousness who saves to the uttermost. God, open our eyes to the reality of what you give us is exactly what we need and that we are such foolish people that we even covet other people's Christmas trees. God, don't let us believe a lie that utopia is found in what we're gonna receive in a Lexus or a Mercedes. And not that they're evil in and of themselves, but God, it's only in you. And Jesus, you have come and you've come to rescue us and save us, but the story's not over. And there's still the presence of sin and death and dying all around us. But give us hope in the midst of the storm. Remind us here as we taste your goodness, as we tangibly touch the receipt that Jesus is our savior. Come and be with us, we pray. Bless our tithes and offerings as well. In Christ's name, amen.